Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. Uh, I found it a surprise on, on Thursday afternoon when my wife told me that Van Michael wasn't going to be able to make it to Oahu this weekend. Also, I found it sad because we, we wanted to see Van Michael and Delaney and meet Eliza. Um, he was actually scheduled to preach today, but he unfortunately fell ill to COVID, like thousands of other folks uh, in the state of, uh, of Hawaii. And so he wasn't able to come. Uh, I do have his permission to share that information with you. He covets your prayers, and COVID honestly has been rough for him. Uh, but I was texting with him last night. He is on the mend. He's doing better, but it, it's been a rough go of it. Uh, so continue to pray for him. Uh, though when I got the call, my concern for him quickly shifted to panic for what it might mean for the preacher that has to throw together a sermon <laughs> on Sunday morning. That poor guy, I thought. Here I am. That poor guy, I kid just a little. Dave was more than willing to jump into, and it really is my privilege to be able to do this with, with you, to, to, to preach the word of God and to serve in this way. I look at our church, and um, man, I, I'm just so thankful and humbled, really, to have a, a church body that I have such a deep affection for. Um, and it's been a joy of mine to serve as an elder uh, for the last few years, and um, if not for the church, Jenny and I would be in a bad place. And so we're thankful to God who's been so faithful to provide this body for us to be a part of. So again, good morning. Uh, would you open with me to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. If you're using a, a Bible under the chair in front of you, it's on page 980. 980. But before we get into the word, would you pray with me? Father, I am inadequate. I'm a sinner in need of your mercy daily, and I thank you for providing that mercy for me. We come humbly now asking your grace be upon us and upon me especially as we meet you in your word. God, we pray for Van Michael. We lift him up to you for a speedy recovery. We pray for protection for the Kamatsu family. We thank you that he is getting better and that would continue to be the case. Father, I also lift up this church. The needs that we have in this room are great, but they can all be met by you. We love you so much, God. Would you please bless this church? We pray for our hearts now as we hear what you have for us in the book of Philippians. God, may we honor you in all things. And Father, I pray that you would use my ransom life in any way that you choose. And I pray now that would be to bring you glory and exalt the name of our great God and King, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. By vocation, I'm a salesman. I sell medical devices. It's a Bizarre industry, I could tell you more about that later, but my first sales job was with Xerox, the copy company. I was young, 22, 23 years old. Every six months or so, we, we would have a review where I had to build a business plan and show how I was gonna grow the numbers uh, for achieving quota for the next half a year. I didn't know what I was doing. 
didn't have a lot of instruction. These were pretty intense meetings for me. I'm sitting across the desk from a very successful man. He was the owner of the distributorship that I'd worked for, and, and he'd been doing this a long time. Copies was his life. He drove a big, fancy Mercedes. I drove a Scion XB. He had a big corner office with a great view. I had the cubicle and the bullpen annex. He had fancy clothes, probably a tailor. I wore my grandpa's old blazer and my roommate's tie, baggy jeans. I imagine that he had a big house, huge bedroom, nice soft bed. I shared a bedroom with my best friend and slept on a futon. Humbler times. I was intimidated by this man. I remember stuttering my way through my first presentation. And I'd hoped that I'd pulled together just enough for him to be like, that's good enough, Josh. You could just go back to your job and keep doing what you're doing. But I remember when I finished that he crossed his arms and leaned back in his chair and he just seemed disappointed. It wasn't quite over for me. I, I, here comes the feedback. The comments I got weren't necessarily on my presentation, but rather on my ability to do my job effectively. Josh, is that, is that how you sell? You're soft. You got to come stronger, man. What are you reading? What, how are you improving your sales? Are you reading books? What are you reading right now? At the time, I was reading a book by a man named C.J. Mahaney called Humility. With disgust, he goes, burn it. I need you cocky. I need arrogance. Don't ask them to buy from you. Tell them this is what they're buying. Humility, he says, is for the weak. That's the world, right? Nice guys finish last. They somehow equate humility with weakness. But that's not what we see in Scripture. It's certainly not what we see modeled by our Savior Jesus. And so this text is a text that I find myself coming back to often. Over the, the past couple years now, as we've navigated COVID and divisiveness in our nation, polar politics, economic swings, I've found myself needing to be especially reminded of the humility of Christ. And we can see it ever so clearly in the text of Philippians 2. John Piper says of this specific text that it contains some of the most practical and most superlative, glorious realities in all the world. What we find in this text is really a principle, and if we could call that principle the Philippians 2 principle for today. And understand that this Philippians 2 principle and these glorious realities, to use Piper's vernacular, they're countercultural. Dare I say they are rebellious. The world would have us to live one way. Scripture would show us another. What we see laid out in Christ is, is most oftentimes the antithesis of society. It, it's the opposite of how the world would have us to live our life. The world would say, hey, get yours. Take care of number one. Get what you can out of this life. But like we've seen in Luke as we've gone through Luke, the teachings of Christ are controversial. Before I read our text, our specific text, I want our text. I want to I'll catch us up briefly on what's happening in the letter, just to round out the context. What's going on in Philippians? We know these things. We know that Paul, from prison, is writing to the church in Philippi, and even though Paul is writing from prison, the overarching theme of this book is joy. 
He has a good relationship with this church. Another theme in the book that's closely connected to joy is unity. Paul is calling the Christians to unity. And in this letter, he's demonstrating how we can be unified and how we could seek that and pursue it within the church. The tone of the letter is warm. He loves this church. He says in chapter one, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Always in every prayer. He couldn't think of this church without giving thanks. And it's a great reminder for me, truly, and I share Paul's heart when I think of you. I'm thankful that the Lord has provided this church. He goes on in the letter. He reminds them in verse 6 of the work that, that God began in their life, that it is sure and certain. And that work is salvation. And he is going to bring it to completion in their life. And then toward the end of chapter 1, he calls them to join him in contending for the faith of the gospel. And this is where our text connects. At the end of chapter 1 into verse 2, this is where we see the practicality of the principle that is Philippians 2. So I'm going to read our whole text right now, and then we can kind of dig into it after that. Philippians 2, chapter 3 says this. I'm sorry, Philippians 2, verse 3 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let's dig into it. This text is really broken into two sections. The first section is the commands, the imperatives. Do these things. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Got it. Easy. Commands. We follow these all the time. This is easy, right? Count others as more significant. I got it, Paul. What's, what's next? Not so much, right? You can see immediately, as you read this, how this might be counter to the culture, right? The idea to consider someone else as more significant than ourselves, it stands juxtaposed to our human nature. It is not in us naturally to do that. We have to fight for it. We constantly ask the question, okay, so I do this for them. What do I, uh, what's this going to cost me? What's my benefit? We do this P&L of acts of kindness. It's not in us to do that. And when somebody is living this way, considering others, it's radical. Paul is saying that we are not primary. We are not supreme. We are are to live our lives counting others as more significant than ourselves. And this, as you well know, this is not easy to do. Even those first words, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. To word it another way would, say, would be to say, do all things considering others as more significant than yourself. All things, all of the things. Could you imagine, church, 
if we live this principle daily? What would our church look like if we considered others as more significant than ourselves all the time? All of the time. What would the relationship with our husband or wife look like if we considered them first always? What about the relationship with our kids or our coworkers, our friends? How about this? How could this principle affect the way that we evangelize to the unbelieving world? Would it be effective? You bet. Can't tell you how many t- how many stories that I've heard of people coming to church because there was quote just something different about the family that invited them. To consider others as countercultural, it's radical. It's so radical that when we see it, we pause. It's something to behold. There are are, are channels on social media or or YouTube that are dedicated to random acts of kindness and they get double tap likes by the millions. We can't get enough of it. It's like, wow, did you see this? See what this person did? It's amazing. We marvel at it because it's unique. And it's unique because it's not in our nature. But it is in Christ's nature. And I love this about scripture. We're we're giving these commands to live this way and then you have the second part. First part is the commands. Do these things. The second part is these next four verses, and it's the why. Why do we do this? Paul shows us why. I'm going to kind of fly through five, six, and seven here, but we consider others more significant. Why? Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Another way to say that, another translation says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Christ did this. Christ showed us this principle. Paul is focusing the attention onto Christ. He gives them the command and then he shows them Christ. He's saying, we consider others because Christ did this. He laid it out for us. Do you know why we consider others as more significant than ourselves? Because it is the mind of Christ. Share the mind of Christ. He's reminded them of what the Savior did and it's not something that is is fully grasped or easily grasped. We know, yes, absolutely, that Christ came and died for our sins. That's basic, simple gospel. Easy. We know that. But Paul, in this next verse, is succinctly reminding them of Christ's glory before he came to earth. And he's telling them about what happened before because he's trying to add this weight, what Christ really did. It's not... Yes, he did die for our sins, but understand what he really did. Verse six, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Christ was in the form of God and equal to God because he is God. And then he came down to us. He was there and then he came here. And by doing this, it's the paramount act of humility. Christ was equal with God because he is God and he humbled himself to come to us. And then verse seven, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was in the form of God and then he emptied himself to be born in the likeness of men, taking the form of a servant. And understand our God took this form still as God, but now also fully man born in the likeness of men. He was like man in that he took our form, looked like a man. He was not like man in that he was still God and completely sinless. Jesus, church, 
poured out everything for us. And Paul is trying to add the weight. Let me try to sum up these three verses, five, six, and seven of what Christ did and show you this ultimate act of humility. Imagine if you would, being the son of God, existing in perfect harmony, bliss, perfection. But there was a problem. There's a problem with creation. They'd rebelled. They've shaken their fist at God. They were in danger and they needed saving and that saving came at a great cost. And so out of love, you humbled yourself. You come down to earth to live a perfect, sinless life. You heal the sick. You give to the needy. You raise from the dead and then what? You die on the cross for these people that rebelled against you. Christ left the Father's side. Perfect harmony to be present with us, to feel hunger, to be cold, to be tempted, to mourn death, to be ridiculed, assaulted, spit on, punched, whipped, a crown of thorns pressed into his skull, and then ultimately killed on the cross. He left harmony for that. He emptied himself for us and he didn't have to do it, but we needed it so badly and didn't even know it. God Almighty took the form of a servant. How could we ever be so proud to not do the same? Why do we consider others as more significant than ourselves? Because when we do, We take the mind of Christ, brothers and sisters. Considering others is servanthood. Christ became a servant for us. We are to model it like he did. And Paul is reminding them and us of what Christ really did, that the king laid aside his inheritance, laid aside his crown, out of love for others, considering others. So when we see in Scripture in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us, when we see in 1 John 8 that God is love, this is the love that he had for us. That he left serenity of being at the Father's side so that we could be spared. If ever there was someone who could call upon what he rightly deserved, it was Christ. And he didn't do that. And he definitely did not deserve the cross. We did. But he went there for others, for us. Put very simply, Christ counted us as more significant than himself. Can you feel the weight of that? Of what Christ did, what we've been forgiven? It doesn't make sense, right? Why? Why would he do that? Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ chose to die for the sinful and the undeserving. It's not like there was this long list of noble people that he was going to come down there and save. No. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own way. Christ displayed humility in this dissension. He was obedient to death for us. Our Lord displayed self-sacrificing humility to the likes that this world has never seen. 
and will never see. He didn't, des- he didn't deserve to die on the cross. We didn't deserve his kindness, but he gave it. And we cannot, church, receive the benefits of his sacrifice and then refuse to follow his example. Church, humility is not weakness. It's God-like strength. Consider others as more significant because that is the mind of Christ and that is his example. So that's our text. But I think when we hear Scripture, we need to ask ourselves what this means for us. How do I take what I read or what I heard and apply it to how I live in the context of the church. And I say in the context of the church, and you've heard me say this before, this letter was written to a church. It's not written to any individual. So we should read it that way. What does it mean for me in the context of the church? Well, at the very least, we should be looking to consider others more, right? That's a very simple deduction from this text. Well, Josh, I don't particularly agree with their position on COVID or masks or politics or theology or parenting or dot, dot, dot. You fill it in. But guess what? The text doesn't give us an out clause in this command. It's not consider other like-minded people as more significant than yourself. The command is simple in direction. It's difficult in practice, as we well know. But let me ask you this question. What relationships in your life are the hardest for you to be humble in? Is it your spouse? Your subordinates? Your boss, those in the church, your kids, your elders, your fellow elders, Bob. Who is it? Whoever it is, let me tell you this. Christ has equipped us with everything that we need to act in humility toward them. We have those at our disposable. And so what did he give us? I'm going to give you a list of four things. There are other things, but these are the most uh, prominent ones that stuck out to me as I was studying. How do we do this? Christ gave us tools that we have to carry out this command. They have at our disposal. The first thing that he gave us is his spirit. John 14, 26 says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. We are not alone in this. Christ knew that we needed help. He knew that we couldn't do this on our own. And the Spirit is there for us to lean on. We've seen the the catchphrases and the I can't evens. The truth is, you can't even. You can't. Not in your own strength. But you're not meant to. It's not how we were designed. You've heard it said that God helps those who help themselves. Wrong inaccurate. Because the truth is we cannot help ourselves. We need him. The third person of the triune God, his spirit is there for us. We are to depend on him and call on him. So he left us his spirit. The other thing that he left us is scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why wouldn't we read more often? These words are breathed out by God. It says it's profitable for us. They equip us. 
Your elders are up here every week. We start our service with the reading from God's word. We end it with the reading from God's word. We're dedicated to it. And you heard Dave this morning even say, read your Bible. We want you in your Bible because we need to be close to him. We have Bible reading plans back there in the foyer. These green things, you just go open the date. What are we reading today? Hey, get this, what a time to be alive. We have technology that reads our Bible to us. Download the app. You could read it on your way to work. These words are breathed out by God. Do we believe that? It's profitable for us. Do we believe that? Read. And you don't need motivation to do it, church. You don't. You need discipline to do it. Discipline's gonna take you places where motivation can only dream. Be disciplined. Get up earlier. Meet him in his word daily. And let me encourage you with this. It's easy to just be like, you know, I'll wait till next year. I'm two weeks behind. I don't know how I'm ever going to make up that time. It's the 16th already. No. Pick up the Bible reading plan. Start reading today. No better time than now. The next thing he left us is prayer. So he left us his spirit, his word. He left us prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He is there, and he is present for you. Why don't we pray more? I've shared this with my small group many times and with the folks on the worship team. John Piper, years and years ago, tweeted, Social media will be used in the final days to show that, we, that our lack of prayer was not for a lack of time. That's a dagger if I've ever heard one, right? Man, we have the time to meet him in prayer. We don't need to make an appointment. You can pray with your eyes open driving to work. You can do that. Look for opportunities to pray. They don't have to be long Pauline prayers. They could just be, Lord, help me to be humble like Christ is humble. Lord, help me to love my wife more. Lord, help me to love my kids more. Lord, help me to be humble at work. Lord, help me to love others the way that Christ loves. He's there. We don't need to make an appointment. And you know how I know that it's God's will that we pray to him? Because he tells us in scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is his will that we meet him in prayer. Don't neglect it. Do it more often. Okay, and the last thing, the last tool that I think that he gave us is often forgot about too. It's the church. I mentioned earlier that this letter was written to a church and, and there's folks of you in here, most of you probably are signed a membership covenant to be of one heart, one mind. Scripture tells us not to forsake the gathering in Hebrews 10. He gave us through the church one another. We don't need to live this Christian life alone. Rather, I would say you're disobedient if you're trying to live this Christian life alone. That's not what's modeled in scripture. Seek out the relationships that are gonna help you along the way. I know for a fact there are folks in this room that are starving and desperate for godly Christian relationships that are gonna help them run the race. I know that. I also know there are people that are being very blessed, extremely blessed by the relationships that God's provided through this church. Seek those relationships out. 
One of the quickest ways that you can get to know folks in the church is through small groups. When signups come, sign up. Get to know folks outside. Linger. And look, I understand. COVID has made this a challenge to some degree. I'm telling you, it's time to move past it. Fear is not a reason for us to neglect the body. And I'm not saying anybody's fearful. Maybe I am. We need to seek these relationships out. And I'm not saying one of these tools is, is better than the other. I think we need to use all of these things that God has given us in order that we could live out these commands. Find a group. Get plugged in. We have everything we need in him to honor him. The command in our text is to consider others as more significant than yourselves. Why do we do this? Because it is the mind of Christ. We're here for you, church. Your elders are here for you. Bob, Dave, and myself are here today. Dan and Ben are also available. Come. If you have requests, make them known so we can pray for one another. Seek, the, seek us out. Seek others out in the church that could lift you up. Would you pray with me now as we end our service? Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Christ and his example of humility. I pray that we would consider others more, Lord. We are not going to do this perfectly. We need your help. Would you help us, God, as we seek to honor your commands? I pray that we would share the mind of Christ. Thank you for the model that he is, that he left heaven, that he left the Father's side to come be with us. What an act of humility. I pray that we would respond and do the same. Be with us now, Lord, as we sing these worship songs to you. You deserve our praise. We lift this time to you now, Lord. Be with us as we go throughout our weeks. May we bring you honor and glory. And may we exalt the name of Jesus everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.